Today's reading is taken from Jeremiah, chapter 18, verses 1 to 11. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house, and there I will give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house, and I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as seemed best to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me. He said, Can I not do with you, Israel, as this potter does, declares the Lord? Like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand, Israel. If at any time I announce that a national kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down and destroyed, and if that nation I warned repents of its evil, then I will relent and not inflict on it the disaster I had planned. And if at another time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be built up and planted, and if it does evil in my sight and does not obey me, then I will reconsider the good I had intended to do for it. Now therefore, say to the people of Judah and those living in Jerusalem, This is what the Lord says. Look, I am preparing a disaster for you and devising a plan against you. So turn from your evil ways, each one of you, and reform your ways and your actions. Today, we take our first step into our series on prophets, minor and major, looking through the prophets of the Old Testament, the messages they shared in their day, and seeing how these apply to our lives now. It's true that the words these prophets shared were not always happy and flowery ideas, extolling God's love for his people. Our passage today is a perfect example of some really challenging warnings levelled against the Israelites. Given their difficult contents, it's easy to think that these messages are not relevant to us. I even went looking online for some sermons to listen to. I went to a large church in the United Kingdom, an Anglican church, and searched their online database. It has 50 years of sermons on it. You put in the book and the chapter and search Jeremiah chapter 18. No results found. They hadn't preached on it. But while we may live in a land thousands of miles and thousands of years away from the ancient Israelites, when we unpack these books, their messengers and their contents, we can better understand how in God's unending desire to see his people know him, there is still a lot for us to learn today. Now, if you or I were walking down the street and heard someone on their soapbox urging us to repent or be destroyed, we'd more than likely either cross to the other side of the street or not so subtly just happen to take a phone call as we were walking past. But rather than being unusual, the prophetic voice was quite normal in Jeremiah's day, as evidenced by the number of prophets we see included in scripture. Over a third of the number of books in the Old Testament are prophets, And that doesn't even include the voices of prophets like Samuel and Nathan and Daniel in other books. 
Similarly, these messengers were not just shouting their own tirades and warnings on the street corner. When they spoke, they issued the prophetic commands of the Lord. You'll see in Jeremiah 18 and in many of the prophetic texts the phrase, This is the word of the Lord that... This phrase is a common device used in prophetic literature to identify that these words are of divine importance and ought to be heard. So, as we begin this week with the book of Jeremiah, we look at it and we realise that it's commonly referred to as a book of doom and gloom from a weeping prophet. Excellent. What better way to lift the spirits as we head into this spring series? On top of this, at first glance, this passage from chapter 18 seemingly depicts God's condemnation of Israel and paints a picture of a God that is wrathful and lacking in mercy. This one's looking like a doozy. But before we try to unpack that text and its hard surface, I think it helps to contextualise Jeremiah as a book of the Bible. So if you'll bear with me, we'll do a little bit of history. Jeremiah was a prophet whose career lasted around 40 years. The beginning of Jeremiah notes his calling by the Lord to uproot and to tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. He lived around 600 years before Jesus and worked to warn Israel about its failure to keep their covenant with God, urging them to repent and repair this relationship. During his life and work, social injustice was rampant among the Israelites. Idolatry abounded and they faced increasing pressure politically from the foreign nations of Assyria, Egypt and Babylon. This instability resulted in the Babylonian invasion of Israel and its subsequent exile. So the book of Jeremiah is an anthology, a collection of his sermons and oracles. They fall into broad categories of pre and post Babylonian exile writing. Our passage today is a pre-exile text where Jeremiah is warning, in fact pleading with Israel to turn from its ways and return to the Lord. Because the demise of Israel has not yet happened, there is still an underlying hope in this text that Israel will listen to Jeremiah and to God. Right, now we've set the basic landscape for our prophets minor and major, let's get stuck into our passage today. I pray that you, with me, can see beyond the seemingly hard surface of Jeremiah's warnings towards Israel and understand that the relationship between a potter and his clay is one that is dynamic, as well as the mercy in his warning to Israel. Both will help lead us to the question and hopefully the answer to, where to from here? So the beginning of our passage today is Jeremiah's instruction to head down to the potter's house and listen to the Lord. Let's see what he sees, when he, what he finds when he arrives. Look with me at verses 3 to 4. So I went to the potter's house and I sat, saw him working at the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. 
so the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as best seemed best to him. Now, various images might arise for you when you think of a potter sitting at his wheel. I'm no, my, by no means an artist, and the first thing that comes to mind for me is throwing chunks of clay in art class. But the Hebrew, the original language of this text, holds a lot more nuance and depth in its meaning than we can see translated into the English. Firstly, the word for potter here was often used in parallel with the verb create used in Genesis when God created the heavens and the earth. So from the very beginning of this passage, we see that this potter is no B-grade amateur artist. This potter is as great an artist at his wheel as the Lord is with the heavens and the earth. Just as he creates, he is a mighty creator, an incredibly skilled craftsman. And this potter is working hard to reform the clay that is marred, blemished, misshapen on his wheel. There is something not quite right with the clay and it needs to be reworked. But clay is not an easy material to work with and this lump is making the potter work hard. Again, the nuance of language in this sermon indicates that Jeremiah watched the potter work for a long time, possibly hours, slowly moulding, shaping. The clay was at times resistant and its blemishes served to slow down the remaking process. I think what this highlights there is that there is actually a dynamic relationship between the potter and the clay. It's almost a battle of wills. Regardless of how masterful a craftsman the potter is, the clay must be willing to allow itself to be formed, to be shaped as seems best to him. Immediately, God makes clear that this is not just some pottery lesson. This is in fact an image of the relationship between the Lord and Israel. Verses 5 to 6. Then the word of the Lord came to me. He said, Can I not do with you, Israel, as this potter does? declares the Lord. Like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand, Israel. God speaks to Israel and shows them that he is like the potter. He is the almighty creator and he can form his clay, his people, as seems good to him. As the sovereign creator, God has a capacity to shape his people as he sees fit. But we know in this analogy that there is resistance from the clay. Israel has been unrepentant and has heard endless warnings from the Lord to turn away from their idolatry and sin. The clay of Israel has not been willing to let themselves be shaped by God as he sees fit, but rather has become resistant to God's hand in shaping their life. The Lord is making it clear that in his sovereignty, he has the capacity to form and shape Israel. But like the potter with the clay, he wants Israel to be willing. He wants Israel to allow herself 
to be shaped as for God's purposes. And this, this is the beauty in the relationship. God says, can I not do with you, Israel, as this potter does? You are like clay in my hands. Yet rather than throwing the clay out because it is unworkable, rather than forcing it against its will, God is working with the blemishes, seeking to bring Israel back into relationship, into being formed by God. And the Lord is giving Israel both another warning and another chance. Even though she has been stubborn, sinful and unwilling to repent, God is still holding out hope for a change of heart. Let's look at verses 7 to 10. If at any time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down and destroyed, and if that nation I warned repents of its evil, then I will relent and not inflict on it the disaster I had planned. And if at another time I announce that a national kingdom is to be built up and planted, and if it does evil in my sight and does not obey me, then I will reconsider the good I had intended for it. Now, if you cut this section out of scripture, particularly verses 9 to 10, and looked at it by itself, you'd probably be quite right to think of God as a nasty and wrathful character. But it's important to remember that this is part of the wider passage in which God, in his sovereignty, is giving Israel both a warning and an olive branch. Jeremiah outlines here a classic hypothetical, an if-then scenario. Verses 7 and 9 and verses 8 and 10 follow similar structures and outline what is going to happen either if Israel chooses to repent, then God will relent, or if Israel continues to sin, then God will reconsider the good he had intended for it. Embedded in these hypotheticals is the sense that while the Lord is warning Israel about what may transpire, Jeremiah is also indicating that change is possible. God's decision isn't final, but rather it adjusts in response to Israel's actions. This affirms the dynamic relationship the dynamic nature of the relationship between the potter and the clay, between the Lord and Israel, between God and us. The point is straightforward. God is righteous, but his mind can change in regards to both judgment and blessing, depending on the way a nation acts. This aspect of the Lord's nature doesn't deny his sovereignty, nor does it paint the picture of a hard-nosed and immutable judge, but instead reminds the Israelites and us that God is inherently merciful, being guided by the willingness of nations and kingdoms to work in relationship with him. 
think this is profoundly beautiful and it's summed up in the final plea in verse 11. Let's have a look. Now therefore say to the people of Judah and those living in Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says, look, I am preparing a disaster for you and devising a plan against you. So turn from your evil ways, each one of you, and reform your ways and actions. God is being clear. There is ill awaiting Israel if she continues in her idolatry and sin. We know from history that this resulted in the Babylonian exile. But he is also pleading with the Israelites. The start of verse 11, the phrase, now please, or now therefore, is used. And there is this intense emotional urgency to his plea. God wants nothing more than to see his people reconciled to him for the good of all. We cannot ignore the seriousness of the warning. But we can also see that there exists still the hope of repentance, of reconciliation with God. This shows us that our God is inherently merciful and loving. And we see this time and time again throughout Scripture. And we see it come to its fulfilment in the cross of Christ. So friends, where to from here? I pray that you've seen today that rather than believing in a God who controls us against our will, we exist in relationship with a mighty creator who seeks to form us and shape us despite our brokenness. God is calling us, you, me, the community of Dolby Anglican, to be changed into God's design and order. He is calling us because of his love for us to be shaped into a beautiful creation for his kingdom and his glory. If you're wondering whether it's worth the buy-in, if today it really matters to pay heed to this text from nearly 3,000 years ago, I encourage you to consider this. The potter does not work aimlessly, and neither does God. Every turn, every day, every moment in God's wheel matters, because there is meaning to this life. As God has created the heavens and the earth, and us, he means to shape us, all of us, for purposes that not only meet our vision and expectations, but exceed our visions and our imagination and our wildest expectations. Two, God chooses to work with us, not to throw us out, not to start anew, and despite our brokenness, to make something beautiful. What that requires though, is for us to give in to God, to be part of his plan. And three, 
There is a point in the process of raising a vessel from the potter's wheel when its future shape is set. There are points in our lives that will define our future when our shape cannot be reformed. How do we want to look in the future as a community of faith and of disciples? How we choose to submit to God's design now will determine how he moulds us for his future plan. Friends, the New Testament promise is that ultimately our mighty potter will reshape us in the resurrection, assured through faith in Jesus. Yes, there will be a day of reckoning when all will stand before the throne of God. But embedded in the truth of this warning is the everlasting hope found in Jesus. It is in this hope that we know our God is a merciful and loving God, whose design, not only for the heavens and for the earth, but for us, is to build and to plant, to intend good for us, and to redeem us into glory, despite our imperfections. The only thing that remains is for us to take part and to be part of God's good design, to be fashioned into a vessel that seems good to him.